um, just excited to get to be together. And um, I, <clears throat> we're going to jump right in. We're, we're kicking off a new series through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Starting it today, part one, this series is called First Love Fire. And I'm gonna unpack why, okay, don't run if that freaks you out or sounds weird or anything like that, but look, we're gonna, we're, we're diving in to this book, this letter to the Ephesian church, because as we pressed into this new season for our church family, the last two weeks I've been preaching a message called Ready the Bride. One of the number one uh, scriptural metaphors that God uses to help us understand what our relationship with him is to be like is that of a groom and the bride. The church is called the bride of Christ. And we see actually in Ephesians chapter five that one of the things that the groom does is he purifies and he washes the bride in the water of the word. How many of you have ever heard that before? That the groom is to wash her in the water of the word. And so that's why we're starting this season. In the next eight weeks, we're going to let the book of Ephesians and the word of God just wash over us and stoke in us what we're calling a first love fire. Again, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more in a second. But um, I want to kick off tonight. If you're new here, you're visiting, you're checking church out, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We have a fun, passionate, just amazing family here in Salt Lake City. Um, my name's Chris, and uh, my wife and I, we moved here from Texas about six months ago to be a part of what God was doing in this valley. It's been a wild ride. It's been a fun ride. There's nowhere else we would rather be. Um, but growing up in Texas, uh, I spent a lot of time hunting, told a story about proposing to my wife a few weeks ago at my dad's ranch. Uh, and I want to tell you another story about um, a crazy event that happened to me uh, and my family last year in the Texas Hill Country. Um, my dad, as I said, he's, he owns this ranch in the Hill Country. It's about 700 acres. And we were out and about one day, you know, if you, on those big ranches, you often have like an ATV or we call it a ranger, right? It's like a four-wheel drive little thing we cruise around on the ranch. And I'm out, we're just cruising, having a good time. I've got four of my five kids with me and we're in the ATV and we stop to get out and go hike around and explore a little bit. And um, we get to a point where my, my daughter, Holland, who was three at the time, needed something. It was a water bottle or a jacket. She wasn't happy anymore on the hike. And like she needed to go back to the ranger, okay? But Hudson and Caleb, uh, one of my six-year-old sons, we have twins, and my eight-year-old son, um, they decided they wanted to keep hiking on. And we were kind of at this corner pasture at the property, and they were going into the corner. And so I said, great. Y'all keep exploring. I'm gonna take Holland and Levi, one of my other sons. We're gonna go back to the ranger. We'll come find you in a few minutes, right? I'm thinking, we're in a high-fenced game ranch. This is a corner pasture. Like, this is a pretty safe dad move, all right? We get back to the ranger. We load up the kids. I start going into the direction of where they should have been. And I get back into this corner pasture, and they are nowhere to be found, like quickly vanished. I'm like, the feeling I had was they're messing with me, they're hiding. So I turn off the ranger and I start yelling for them, you know, like, you know, Caleb, 
Hudson, like, come on, let's go. Like expecting them to hop out of a tree or hop out from behind a bush and, and just nothing, right? Like, okay, I'm gonna drive up a little bit further and I check down the fence line, you know, and okay, and I, I'm kind of at an elevated vantage point so I can see this whole back pasture. And I'm like, certainly they're just ran off somewhere, you know? And a couple minutes go by and I like, I cannot find them anywhere. My blood pressure starts to rise a little bit and I'm like, what is going on? Did they climb a fence and wander off into no man's land? I mean, it's just thousands of acres of wilderness beyond the fence. I'm like, what is going on? I climb the fence to, to both be able to see further and project my voice further because I am now screaming at the top of my lungs for my two lost sons. And I consider myself a decently well-adjusted person emotionally, but y'all, the speed at which I turned into a raging lunatic was startling. I'm not joking you. Parents, if you've ever been there, I lost my mind in about a matter of three and a half minutes through fear, panic, and anxiety that I had lost two of my sons. It was a terrible experience. In my panic, I was already planning the phone calls to the helicopters that were gonna come search the ranch, right? I had the search dogs, right, running the trails, the scent trail. I had every plan in my mind and I was prepared to spend day and night on end searching, pursuing my lost sons. And I was not doing very well emotionally at that moment. I was freaking out, all right? I want you to see in a moment, I'm gonna get back to this story in a second, but I want you to see in this story the fury of a father who has been separated from some of his children against his will. I want you to imagine for a moment, just go with me, can you believe for a moment today that God himself, who Jesus repeatedly addressed as our heavenly father, actually could have experienced that kind of heartbreak, that kind of heartache in the garden when he was separated from his. Are you with me? I want you to let yourself go there for a second. And it was, what if it was actually this heartbreak and this sadness of the Father's heart that motivated God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit to begin to enact the greatest rescue mission in history. I mean, in three minutes, I had helicopters and search dogs. I was ready to do anything. Where was God at minute three? Did, it, did he already have redemptive history planned out in his mind minute three when the separation in the garden happened? Think about it. Where was he? To pull you back into the story, after exhausting my search of the western corner of our property, I go back to the ranch house. I tell my dad, Dad, I've lost Caleb and, and Hudson. And he freaks out. He jumps on another ATV. And now we're driving the whole ranch. And I am uh, praying in heavenly languages I did not know existed. I was at the bottom of myself, just, it was a panic. And I'm driving around, now, now praise God, the day before I had had a conversation with Caleb, my oldest, and I said, if you ever get lost on this ranch, I don't know, by the grace of God, this happened the day before, if you ever get lost on this ranch, find a road. Stay on that road until I find you. 
That's a word for somebody, I think, okay? If you ever get lost, find a road and stay there until I find you. And then I told him, and if you can't find a road, find a fence, climb up on that fence so you can see a road, and then go to that road and stay there until I find you. And so I'm driving the roads, and I'm in panic, and I'm by myself at this point, and I'm just praying, I am calling on heaven, and I'm flying down this ranch road, I mean, just picture it, the dirt's kicking up behind me, and I'm just like a lunatic searching for my lost sons. And I come up to where this other road kind of intersects with the road that I'm on. And, and as I pass by, I look down the road and I see Caleb and Hudson sprinting to the sound of my vehicle. And I slam on the brakes. I mean, I skid about 30 feet. The ATV's still moving. I jump off and I run to my sons, okay? They're running to me. I'm running to them. It was this in- incredibly overly dramatic moment. Y'all like, I'm falling on my knees. I am weeping they embrace me they're weeping and all this like relief in my heart that like I found my sons and it was beautiful it was painful and here's what I want us to see in this story that being separated from the father is as painful for the father as it is for the children and tonight, as we jump in to a return to the first love, and as we jump into the book of Ephesians, I want us to see that the Father will do and has done anything and everything possible under the sun to come after you and me and you and to win you back to himself. This is the heart of God that was on display through Jesus. You've heard the verse, it says that the Son of Man came to seek and save what what was lost. The heart of God is to seek and save what was lost. Can you remember a time in your own life can you remember, maybe you don't have that dramatic of a story, but were you, can you remember feeling ever the agony of like separation from someone that you loved? Can you ever remember maybe feeling the agony of separation from God? Honestly, maybe you're here today and you've been feeling the agony of separation from God. I don't know where you're at on your journey, but I came to tell you that Jesus, with his blood on the cross, what he purchased for you and I and for everyone in this room was a reunion with the Father and a nearness with the Father. The gospel bought for us intimacy with God. And if you're a child of God, separation from him absence from him, distance from him is not your portion. It's not what God has for you. And so tonight, we're gonna dive in. And as we kick off this series, uh, I want us to um, allow our hearts for a moment. I know that story is kind of dramatic. It was incredibly traumatic and emotional for me, but it is the agony of separation. If we can connect with the agony of separation, are you with me? 
then we can connect with the joy of the reconciliation and the reunion. You know what I mean? So we're going to pray, and I'm going to tell you straight up, one of my prayers for tonight, we're just talking about the gospel. We're just talking about salvation. And there are some of you here that you're going to hear this more clearly than you ever have before, and you're going to respond to God in a way that you never have before. And January 23rd, 2022 is going to be a marking moment on your life. Some of you, you've heard this message long ago and you've loved this message for many, many years, but your heart has become numb and a little bit um, suppressed to the true beauty and the power of what we call the gospel of our salvation. And so my prayer is that if you've never responded to the gospel, that tonight would be the day of salvation for you. And if you have responded to the gospel in the past, but your heart has grown cold, that God would restore to you the joy of your salvation tonight. That's my prayer. Will you pray that with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're here. You're already moving and working. We thank you for your presence during worship. We thank you that your word is alive, living, and active. And we ask right now that you'd open the eyes of our hearts to encounter you like never before. In Jesus' name, everybody said Ephesians chapter 1. Church, can you flip there with me? If you got your Bible, Ephesians chapter 1. If you got your search with your thumb, get your thumb going. E-P-H is how you spell that if you're searching the Bible app. Okay, you're welcome. Ephesians. All right. Hey, look, look. I, I didn't start studying the Bible until I was 20 years old. I had no idea what Old Testament, New Testament, Leviticus, Numbers, anything, Ephesians. I'm like, who's, who's Ephesian? You know, like, so look, everybody has a starting point, but tonight our starting point is Ephesians 1. And I want to ask you, church, um, do you believe that the Word of God is living and active? Do you believe that you hold in your hand or on your smartphone the, the living Word? The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword and that it's profitable for our teaching and encouragement. Church, you believe that today. Can you go with me today to dig into the living Word of God and read it with faith? Will you go with me there? Yeah. Ephesians 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every letter is written from someone to someone. Ephesians was a letter written by a guy named Paul to a group of people in a town called Ephesus. It wasn't just any group of people. It was a group of people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God to the earth, that he was the solution and the source of all salvation, healing, deliverance, freedom, that Jesus was the one sent from God to save the world. That's what makes up a church, in case you were wondering. It's just a group of people that believe in Jesus, a group of people that have put all their hope, all their eternal hope, all their current present hope in the name above all names, Jesus. Paul's writing to a group of believers. And I want, you to, I want to tell you something about Paul. Paul had a radical, here's a short story. Paul was a a high and mighty, very self-religious guy. There's probably none of, the, none of you like that in this room, but there, he was a prideful man that trusted in himself. And he had good reason to trust in himself because he had a pretty solid 
pedigree, all right? He had grown up. He was like the man among boys, okay? He had done all the right things. He had gone through all the right programs. He had had a great career. He was a great leader in the, the Hebrew faith. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader of the day. And when this troublesome new sect of, of faith of these crazy people that were following this guy named Jesus from Nazareth started making a bunch of noise, Paul was so religious and such a great leader that he vowed that he would personally put an end to the Jesus revolt. And so Paul was on his way one day to do just that and to throw some of these troublesome believers into prison. And he's riding on his high horse, literally and figuratively, and he's encountered by the light of the world. It literally knocks him off of his horse and he has an encounter with God that changes the course of his life, changes the course of the preaching of the gospel, and changes the course of the world. Now look, I don't know where you're at today, I don't know where you're coming from, but do you know that one encounter with God can change everything? Do you know that nobody in your life right now is too far from the reach of the gospel? Do you know that the most self-righteous religious person in this city is not too far from the gospel? Do you know that the most broken, despicable sinner running the streets of Salt Lake is not too far from the gospel? About four of you are, believe, are convinced that the gospel actually is the power of God for salvation. That's what Paul says in Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Gospel just means good news, by the way. It's the good news that there's nothing good in you, but there was everything good in him. So if you would get over you and put your trust in him, then he will rescue you from the death and hell and bondage that you earned by the payment of his own blood and set you free and do a new life. It's good news. And he says that that is the power to change everything. And one encounter rewrote Paul's whole story. Who in your life do you believe is too far from the gospel? You can join me in repenting. I got a long list of people in my life I've been praying for for a long time going, wow, maybe it's just not possible. Can we come into 2022, church? This is a family word right here. If you're a part of this house, you're here every week. Can we please come into this new year and believe the power of the gospel in a new way and pray for people like we actually believe that one encounter with the light of the world can change everything. And so Paul has this crazy, life-changing encounter with God that actually cost him everything. But he said in Philippians, we're not gonna dig into it for the sake of time, but he actually said that everything he lost was not even worth comparing to the treasure he had gained in Jesus. And I want, I want you to see why. We're gonna keep reading in Ephesians 1. Why was Paul okay with losing everything else to gain Jesus? Look what he says. He continues this letter, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, and he just launches into worship. How many of you guys, the last letter you penned, the first paragraph, you were just praising God? 
This is his opening to the letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, somebody say, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Don't miss it. The Father, God the Father, choosing us, adopting us to himself as sons. Look, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. Verse seven, in him, somebody say in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Thank you, God. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth, somebody say, in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, come on, somebody say it, in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Verse 11, somebody say it with me. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope, don't miss it, in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Come on. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's a lot going on there in his opening run on sentence that doesn't have any periods. And it's just on and on and on. Look, good worship goes on and on and on. Okay, look, there's not a stop when you're in the flow because you're never going to run out of reasons to bless God. Did you, did you see seven different times in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ. The gospel is the good news of everything that God has given us in Christ. Look at this slide. I just want to I'll put them together in a list. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, this is just in about nine verses. You were chosen, loved, and my story, man, pursued my sons, like a madman, he chased after you. Adopted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, enriched, and empowered. Opening paragraph. What, nine, what are we at? Nine verses? Eight verses? I don't know. Look at everything as God has given us in Christ. Now, did you notice this, this phrase in verse 7? Can we pull it back to verse 7? Did you notice the phrase in verse 7 that in him we have redemption through what? Through his blood. Now, for us, he, he, he kind of just slipped this in there. And for them, it, this would have hit them hard because they lived in a paradigm where they understood they understood that the crucifixion of Jesus was the most uh, scandalous, controversial thing that had happened in any of their lifetimes. And if they didn't see it themselves, their parents did, or their best friends did, right? 
So for us, we got to not glance over it because they understood that everything the gospel gives us is through his blood. They knew that. They watched him pay the price. But for us, we got to stop there for a second. We got to stop and understand that every good thing that comes to us through the gospel, two things. It was very costly to Jesus though it's amazingly free to you and me, but it's already been paid for. This is why Paul is worshiping. This is why Paul is magnifying God, and he's actually inviting them to join. He's saying, bless God. Do you see that? He understood everything was through the blood of Jesus. Check out Romans 5, 6 through 11. I want you to see, we're just sitting in the gospel today. The title of this message is First Love Fire, the gospel of your salvation. And we're sitting in it because the gospel is the centerpiece and the cornerstone of a healthy church. And if we're not excited and obsessed and in, in love with the gospel, then we're going to veer off and get excited and obsessed with a bunch of other things that are going to lead us astray. Yeah. And so the gospel of our salvation, he, he describes it a little bit differently in Romans 5. He says this, why we were still weak. Somebody say amen. At the right time, Christ died for all of his best friends that were working really hard to honor and please him. Oh, sorry, that's not what it says. Um, at the right time, Christ died for who? Somebody say amen. Okay, listen, you were not a friend of Jesus when he came after you. You were not even a child, Ephesians 2 will, will tell us in a couple weeks. You were not even a child of God yet when he came after you. That's where my analogy with the boys at the ranch breaks down, is that he, oh, Romans is going to say it for me. Look, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. It's saying, look, you might die for your best friend. You probably would die for your spouse. If you had to take a bullet, you probably wouldn't die for your friend's best friend, you know, right? Let's be honest, right? But he's saying, no, but Jesus showed his love. God showed his love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, for the ungodly, right? Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Say that with me, justified by his blood. Remember Ephesians 1, through the blood, everything in Christ, through the blood, everything is through the blood, justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It keeps going. If while we were, say it with me, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There is a, there is a reality where we have to, like my story with my boys, enter into the agony of separation from God, the agony of the reality of what it must be to be an enemy of God. Now, God is un unceasingly merciful, and we are living in the age where the Bible actually says that he is patiently waiting 
and delaying his return. You know Jesus is coming back, church? He's actually patiently waiting because his heart is that none would perish, but that all would repent. The Bible says God's patient in re- patience in returning right now is because his heart breaks so much for the loss that he is hoping and waiting that everybody will repent and turn to him. He desires mercy for all, but he will pour out wrath on his enemies. He will. And so there is an agony of separation from God, and the gospel is the good news of the joy of reconciliation to God. Are you with me, church? And it's by his blood. It's by his blood. Now, that word, if we could go back to that Romans 5, the first slide, I think it was verse 7. Remember, you guys read it with me. It says in verse uh, verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood. We've got to stop here on this word justified for a second because All I am doing right now is to help all of us grasp with some theological and biblical clarity the gospel of your salvation. And some of you, this might be an old lesson. Some of you, this might be a brand new lesson. For all of us, this should be a lesson that stirs the joy of our salvation. Justified by his blood. Look, this whole gospel message, the gospel of salvation through Jesus, it's about one thing. It's about one thing. If you don't remember anything else about this message, if you don't remember anything else about the gospel today, it is that the gospel of your salvation is about one thing. It's about making you right in God's eyes. It's about making you and declaring you right before God. How many of you, how many of you just be honest for a second, shoot your hand up, if you, knows, if you know what it feels like, or you've had a moment in life where you very much knew that you were not in right standing with God, and you could just, you could feel, okay, yeah, wow, bad move, uh, put, my, put myself on the wrong side of this one, you know? We know what it feels like to not be right with God, be honest, Some of you, again, might be here today. You're seeking God. Somebody invited you. You're searching out. I don't know. But you might right now know, be very aware, I'm not right with God. Okay? The gospel, the the gospel, the main purpose of the message of Jesus is about getting you right with God. That's what the word justified means. It's literally declaring you righteous in the sight of God. Which, think about that for a second. I mean, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to like shove you back into your past and, and make you feel all guilty about where you've been, but, but just, just grab two or three of your worst moments, okay? Just grab two or three of your worst moments of sin, of rebellion, of selfishness, of hatred, of jealousy, of en- envy, of, of adultery, of lust. Like just grab two or three of your worst moments, and realize that we, none of us stand before God with the declaration in and of ourselves that we're righteous, that we're pure, that we're holy. And, and bl- most of us spend our lives feeling the exact opposite of that. We are so in tune that something is deeply wrong with us. And sometimes we think we're the only one, but I've got news for you, you're not the only one. And we feel, what is wrong with me? (laughs) 
I mean, I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, but I remember what it felt like to be like, I know what I should do. Like I cognitively understand that there are right things to do and there are wrong things to do, but all I want to do is keep doing all the wrong things. What is wrong with me? The good news of the gospel is that you are wrong with you. (laughs) Sin is wrong with you. And it is only through the blood of Jesus and we call upon his name that the blood comes and covers all of our unrighteousness and in a moment, it justifies us. Okay, we started at the beginning of the letter. Are you, with, are you guys following me? We started at the beginning. We said, you gotta know who the letter's from and who the letter's to. I told you the letter was from Paul and that one encounter with God changed everything for this man. We kind of skipped over who the letter was to. Who was the letter addressed to? What's it actually say? To the saints. Oh, wait, 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 wait. To the saints Were these people just better than all the rest of us and they had it all figured out and they stopped sinning and they were holy enough to he could, oh cool, these guys are saints. Are you with me? Who was this letter written to? Saints. Do you know that every single letter that Paul penned, he started off to the saints, to the saints. The justification of the blood of Jesus is that the number one identity marker on all of our lives before Jesus was sinner. We've heard that term all of our lives. Do you know that the number one identity marker on your life after the blood of Jesus is not sinner anymore? It is saint. If the blood of Jesus, the number one identity marker on your life after the gospel of salvation, after the blood of Jesus is not that you are a sinner. It is that you have been a saint, which you know what the word saint means? It just means this. It just means holy one. Are you a saint now because you're perfectly holy and you're never tempted, tested, or struggled? No, you're a saint now because the blood of Jesus covers you and makes you holy as he is holy. Not only that, but we see at the end of this passage that when you hear the gospel and you believe, did you see that part? Let's get uh, verse 13 and 14 up here. It says, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says that when we hear the gospel right here, the gospel of your salvation and believe in him, you were sealed with the promised, what? Wait, 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 wait. You were sealed when you hear, when you hear the gospel, when you believe in the gospel, you get sealed up inside with something. You get sealed up inside with the spirit. What kind of spirit? Okay, so if you have a Holy Spirit in you because you put faith in Jesus, then maybe, maybe that just makes you holy. Are you with me? I want you to reach under your chair. There's a bunch of these red and white, hello, my name is name tags under your chair. And we did that on purpose today. We did that on purpose today. Anybody at service last week? Raise your hand if you were at service last week. At the end of service last week, God began to speak, and in the room, he was saying, hey, there's some name tags that need to come off. I don't know if you're here. God's been inviting us to let go of the old and to walk in the new. God has been inviting us to pull off the old labels, the old names, and at the end of service last week, God was moving, and there were some of you in this room, that, if you remember, I was going, 
right, that noise when you pull off an old name tag. And as I was preparing for this week, I was like, so this week we're going to put on some new names because some of y'all believe the gospel heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and were made holy and were saved. You were justified by the blood of Jesus, and yet you've been walking around with a name tag that still says sinner. You've been walking around with an identity from your past life that still says failure or still says something. Can we get the in him slide back up there? It still says something other than chosen, loved, adopted. Can we get that list up here of everything we have in Christ? Redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, enriched. Everything that we have in Christ by his blood. Some of you, if you're being honest with yourself, you're still walking around with name tags that are identifying you by things that are not on this list. And I'm telling you, if you've heard the gospel and you've believed in Jesus and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, then it's time for you to put on a new name today. This is why Paul suffered the loss of everything and said, no big deal, because of the treasure I've gained. And it's amazing, if I had more time, we would walk through this passage and I would show you, let's leave that list up here, I would show you how the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has been beautifully conspiring together for all of history. Can you see that it was the Father that chose you, that it was the Father that loved you, that it was the Father that adopted you, and it was the Son, Jesus, that shed his blood to redeem you, and it was Jesus that shed his blood to forgive you and to enlighten you, and then it was the Holy Spirit's turn to step into the game and enrich you with an inheritance, the down payment, right? The Holy Spirit comes in and empowers you to be holy as he is holy. Do you see how God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this beautiful picture in Ephesians 1 of the gospel of your salvation? Man, I, I thought a few of us would be excited that God went to all that effort to chase us down. I don't know. Maybe you're just getting rocked with the joy of your salvation, okay? But, but look, look, Guys, the Lord has wildly, passionately pulled out all the stops to come after us for our rescue, to come after you in such a powerful way as to pull off all these old false labels. And so I want you, there's some markers on the ground over here, and we're going to just take a moment, and then we're going to stand and respond, okay? We're going to take a moment. Worship team, go ahead and come up here. And, and I want us to sit here for a second, and I, and I want to give you some just two minutes to process. Ask God, what name have you given me in the gospel? And, and look, you don't have to be cheesy, and I'm not going to make you put this name tag on, all right? Put it in your journal, stick it on the back of your Bible, I, I don't care. But I want to get us a couple minutes to just sit and to simmer in the gospel of our salvation. Church, let me tell you something. We, we will never carry the power of this message into the world if we don't fully believe it for ourselves. If we're not obsessed, if we're not reading Ephesians 1 and joining the worship of Paul for all that God has done for us in the gospel, right? This needs to be our food day and night. This needs to be our meditation. I mean, we were so hopeless. I, 
some of y'all heard my testimony. You got your own stories. Some of y'all, I mean, I was far off, all right? I was in the frat house in college, running all kinds of directions away from God. And some of y'all made me look like just a, a pretty good kid, all right? Some of y'all were, I mean, some of y'all might be here still just like dabbling in stuff, man, that if we really knew, I don't know where you're at. But can we agree that it's a miracle that God has given the time of day to any of us? Can we just agree for a second that in our sin and left to ourselves, it is an absolute miracle of grace that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would chase after us in our lostness, would pursue us like a wild madman and pull out every stop, spend every, no price too high including the blood. Man, we're never gonna be a church that carries the hope of the gospel of Jesus if we are not even enthralled with it ourselves anymore. Don't forget where you were when he pulled you out of the ditch, man. Don't forget the treasure of the gospel. I want you to take a minute ask God this simple question who do you say I am who does the blood say that I am take a couple minutes whatever you hear write it in your journal write it in your phone write it on one of these cars I'll hop back up here in just a minute church stand with me stand with me for a moment stay with us in this moment we're not done all right we've got some we're, we're, we got some business to happen here for a second but listen I, I'm wondering I believe that today January 23rd 2022 uh, for some of us in this room is a is a life-shifting day today and so I just want to boldly ask, we, we talked about it a couple times, that you hear and you believe, and then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to ask boldly, in church, if you've heard and believed and received this message before, you know that the Word of God says that when one sinner repents and turns to the Lord, that all of heaven goes nuts, right? 
And so I just want to remind you, church family, that that's what heaven does when one person turns to the Lord, when one person hears the message of the gospel and believes. And so I just want to ask boldly, on the count of three, we're going to keep our eyes open so we can celebrate and party, but if you've never heard this message with this clarity, if you've never heard it and then believed in your heart that the blood of Jesus could actually put a new identity on you, if you've never accepted the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life, on the count of three, I just wanna ask you to boldly raise your hand because heaven's gonna party. We wanna party with you, all right? On the count of three, one, two, three. Shoot your hand up if today is the day of salvation for you. I see a couple of hands throughout the room. Praise God. So, so. In a couple weeks, we're actually gonna have a baptism Sunday right here up in this room on February 6th, all right? And so that might be for you if you raise your hand. That might be some of you have been waiting to get baptized for a while. We're going to bring the baptismal up here. We're going to read Ephesians 2 that talks about going from death to new life. And we're going to dunk some people. Okay, so if you want to get dunked in a couple weeks, go ahead and shoot an email to info at antiochslc.com. But church, let, stay with me. Did you notice that three different times in Ephesians 1, he uses this phrase. Hold on one second, man. We're, we're, we're going to go there in a minute. Hold on. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are, y'all are excited. I can feel it. Three different times he uses this phrase. Verse 6. Let's get verse 6 up there real quick. Ephesians 1. He uses the phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace. Do you see that down there? To the, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Okay, verse 14, do you see it down here? To the praise of his glory. Church, y'all are smart. Why is he writing all of this to the Ephesian church? Why is he telling them all about the gospel of their salvation? Why? Huh? so that they would praise God. That's it. There's one reason that he's starting this letter that way, so that they would praise God for his grace. Do you think that with a God who's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the fact that he said it three different times was coincidental? Are y'all with me? Praise the Father. Praise the Son. This is the gospel of our salvation. So church, we're going to respond and worship. And I don't know where you're at right now, but my prayer is that as we respond and sing and worship right now together, that the joy of our salvation and the reality of this gospel would flood this room and flood our hearts. Lead us there, team. Come on. You unravel me with a melody.